afternoon, folks, and welcome to another episode of NBA's Unplugged. I'm your host, Fedge McDermott, and let's dive into today, uh, Wednesday, May 20th. Uh, wow, it's kind of hard to tell what day of the week is at this point. Um, so, good news is, classes are done, finals are done for the most part, and I believe most of the class, or at least the first years, are now done doing their prime presentations. So, uh, we are now entering the summer term. For, so, for those of you taking classes, those are going to start up in, I guess, a week. So, you guys have a week of downtime. As for the rest of you who are starting your internships or doing something else, uh, best of luck to your summer efforts, and I hope to see you again uh, in the beginning of the fall semester, of course. Um, in terms of announcements for this week, uh, obviously nothing from really clubs or anything since those are pretty much quiet until we kind of get halfway through the summer, but from the program office, uh, only thing I will kind of mention right now is that uh, today, May 20th, is the start of the spring 2020 grading options, so for the next week, you'll be able to go through and look at your grades and decide whether you would like to elect for uh, the no pass or pass grading option or to stick with the letter grades. Uh, there's more details on what criteria actually counts for which classes you can choose as for what grades are allowed to be sort of pass no pass. So uh, Janella sent out a very detailed email going in, going into that. So uh, just search for her in your inbox. I believe that came out on Tuesday, May 19th. So look for something around there. Uh, again, we have until May 27th to get our options in, and you only have one chance to do it. So uh, make sure you really weigh your options out before pursuing that any further. Uh, that's it for really announcements. Not really going to have many more announcements there. Um, but today, going on to our interview, uh, in the spirit of the recent NBA Battle Royale we had last week, where uh, our team did, I think, an amazing job of representing uh, the USC Marshall spirit, we have uh, Kyle Scott and Min Zhao on for a uh, post-NBA Battle Royale, I guess, uh, sit down on the podcast. So the first one will be today with uh, actually a pre-recorded episode that I had with Kyle that I was sort of waiting to unveil. Um, and then tomorrow I will be doing one with, I will be launching a new one with Min, which I'll be recording today. So that'll be a much quicker turnaround and we'll actually be talking about the Battle Royale a little more specifically. So, uh, but for now we will go over to the pre-recorded interview we have with Kyle Scott. And so enjoy. And rolling into the guest portion of our show, I'm now being joined by someone I'm very familiar with from our group projects on the Sony project, Kyle Scott. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm very well, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well now that that project's long behind us at this point. So it was such a pleasure. It was so <laughs> so easy. Uh, but yeah, how how are you doing out in LA so far? So far, you know, I can't complain. It's we had an earthquake last night. Oh was yeah, <laughs> earthquake. I was Someone... on a Zoom call with a group project. They were super calm. I kind of freaked out. I'm still. <laughs> Like you, I'm an East Coaster, so I'm very much like I can do hurricanes, snowstorms, mm -hmm. tornadoes. I don't really do earthquakes, so we're still uh, getting used to it. Was that the first one you've ever felt? It was the second, but the first one was like a 1.4. Like it was nothing. So it was uh, exciting. But other than that, <laughs> I'm doing great. I can't complain. Just cranking out like the last three weeks of classes. Yeah, we're like kind of down the home stretch right now. So I think... Today of this recording, we have about a week until our first core finals for 
the our last or I guess the first last core final. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it depends on if you pass the class or not. Exactly. <laughs> of course, sure. always depend on that. Um, so as we get into the show, uh, again, like I mentioned, you have uh, two sort of segments that you get to decide on what you want to do. One, which we will do now before we get started on learning more about you. And the other, which we'll use as sort of like a, uh, a midpoint for us during the middle of the interview. So uh, out of the options that you've had presented to you, do you know which two that you're electing to go with today? Yeah, we're going to do trivia and will you press the button? Trivia and will you press the button? Okay. Awesome. So you're probably the first person that's elected to not go with the Florida man birthday since yeah, I introduced that it one. It sounds fun, but I'm sure that's like the, the hot one to choose. It is very much the hot one to choose because they're just outrageous but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so jumping into trivia since i know that you're a big guy in entertainment and that you went to nyu for uh sort of film and tv production stuff uh your theme is going to be trivia around hollywood amazing so hollywood in the way that like more i guess movie type uh, trivia, not like Hollywood, the place. Cool, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it's Brentwood. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nothing like that. It's it's more a play on words there. Um, so the first one I have for you, so we'll have four questions for you, is whose slogan was "More stars than there are in heaven"? Oh, that sounds like an MGM. That is M. That is right. That is MGM. Damn. Ooh. Okay, I thought that was gonna be a hard one clearly <laughs> not um this could be a tricky one in the first pink panther movie what is the pink panther Oof. what is it animated <laughs> like <laughs> so not the animated one so there was actually like i guess the animation was kind of a spoof on mm. what was the actual pink panther so like what was the animal that played it <laughs> <laughs> so your answer is the pink panther is an animal which in that case it's not so the pink panther is not an animal the original one it was an actor <laughs> <laughs> it, it was an object an object oh interesting yes. it i mean i'm trying to narrow it down for you so i'm not giving you the exact answer there oh, cool. but. it was an object like <laughs> The answer was just an object. Like a stuffed animal? Like a lamp? Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess I got you on that one, but it was a diamond. Oh, wow. You did get me. I did not know that. And we have a couple here. Did you do. In which 80s film did Arnold Schwarzenegger play Danny DeVito's brother? I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> at NYU, we mainly looked at auteur cinema, such as like the bicycle thieves. So, <laughs> Oh, I don't have those questions. <laughs> That's okay. Oh my goodness. I really don't know. It's like the funniest concept where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito are like long lost, <laughs> long lost <laughs> brothers. <laughs> Is that my cousin Vinny? <laughs> like, no, it's not my cousin Vinny. <laughs> and it's not Matilda. Ooh, that's a good one too. Mm -hmm. It's literally just called Twins. Oh my gosh. I Yeah, I'll have to look into it. And 
See. I started strong with MGM and now, now you thought that was the hard one. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Let's see. I can't ask you that one because it's related to MGM, so that wouldn't feel fair. Let's see. Mm. Ooh, I mean, you might you might know this one. In 1986, which film had 11 nominations but won nothing? Oof. 86. That was like prime year. Goodfellas. Nope. Did Goodfellas not win anything? I'm sure it did. I think uh, 11 has to be a lot of nominations. To... I'm thinking of like what, like the platoons of the world, the obviously not Titanic. That was in the nineties. Cause 11 is a huge number. Hmm. 86. I mean, it wouldn't be a Godfather. Um, nope. I'm trying to think of like what was like a defining 80s movie. I'm guessing it wasn't a Scorsese film then. Not Apocalypse Now. Nope. Okay, I'm trying to think of like what is of that era. Yeah, I don't know. Are you familiar with the movie The Color Purple? Oh, yeah. I think <laughs> I've got nothing. <laughs> yeah, apparently it got 11 nominations and didn't win a thing. I mean, 11 is huge. Like, that is huge. That's when you need, like, sound effects, visual effects, score, like, all the below-the-line stuff. I didn't realize it was, like, that decorated. Yeah. I guess. I think the most I ever heard was like was it one of the Lord of the Rings movies that got nominated for like a ton of things at the time. And even like La La Land recently, I feel like tied the record. Wow, how much did that get nominated for? I want to say it was up there too, like twelve or thirteen. Now Damn. I'm being see. Normally, I'm saying this kind of stuff at a party that's not being recorded, so I can't. <laughs> yeah. <wait> now. <laughs> now you're just gonna be that's held to that number on the record. I know. <laughs> I'll never work in this town again. All right, before we go diving too deep into that total tangent uh <laughs> let's let's bring this back around to the interview at hand here uh so now that we're sort of past the intro segment and we'll do the will you press the button one later uh i want to first start off by getting to know a little bit more about you sort of where you grew up uh where you did your undergrad and sort of your journey that led you to deciding to come to business school sure so i was born in a town in upstate new york called johnson city which is very small my dad worked at IBM, which is from Endicott, New York. We have a case tomorrow on it that I'm very ready to talk about. <laughs> uh, and that is what drove my family ultimately to the suburbs of Raleigh. So I moved there when I was three. Uh, Raleigh has a, a park next to it called Research Triangle Park. And that is like the second largest IBM site in the world. Yep. So my dad, you know, had my family move down there. It was technically the third place I had lived. So my mom was like, we're staying here. We're not moving again. So grew up there and I was there until I left for college. Uh, I absolutely loved Raleigh. Like, I think it's the greatest place to go home to. But, you know, growing up, I always thought I'd go to UNC Chapel Hill. 
Um, but when I toured it, I kept running into people I knew. It was like 20 minutes from my house. Okay, yeah, the classic sort of the local dilemma. <laughs> it was like 13th grade. It was like, this is not college. Like this yeah. is too, too close. And then all my life, I thought I was gonna be an architect. My dad's an engineer. And then I took high school geometry my freshman year. And it's like the only C I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> me. Which is like, knocked I you right out of architecture. Right out of, I was like, I cannot do this every day. Like buildings will collapse. <laughs> I will be sued. <laughs> so that made me go on a little journey about like, what do I want to do? My sophomore year, I took a mass media class. And it was like the first time I thought like, you can elect to work in entertainment. Like people just, you know, don't just stumble into that. It's like, that is a career path you can go down. Yeah. And so that got me thinking like, oh, I kind of like this. And so I applied to NYU uh, as well as USC for undergrad. But I, coming from the East Coast, I wanted to stay on the East Coast. Yeah. That was really important. Also, so NYU film school has, it offers a fine arts degree. So I have a BFA, which meant that like the majority of my classes had to be in film, which I really wanted. Like I didn't want to go to school and be taking like econ and sociology and a lot of like other kind of fluff classes. Yeah. I really wanted to get hands-on experience. So I applied to NYU, which is ironic because as a kid, I hated New York so much. Really? I thought it was like dirty and gross and like loud. Because my suburb is super (laughs) immaculate. Like it's brand new. Like the roofs all match. The like gardening all matches. Mm -hmm. A little Stepfordy, but I guess that's just what I was used to. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, your your adjectives are accurate, but <laughs> I still like New York since that's sort of like my backyard, I guess. But that's just me. <laughs> well, I I grew to love it very quickly. So it's funny because when I was like seventeen touring it, I was like, I think I want to go here. And then at the end of my tour, I'm like, I'm gonna go here. Damn. So very fortunately, I got in there, and then I studied film. Um, I very quickly learned that I love a creative process. I am. A little too pragmatic to be an artist personally i blame my engineer parents and especially too like you know my freshman and sophomore year a big thing was we would help on the junior and senior level productions okay and i think for being on those sets i was there's a saying hurry up and wait where everyone rushes to get to set at like four or five in the morning and then you just kind of wait and then the lighting is right you shoot for like five minutes and then you stop and you wait some more and it just kind of that dynamic drove me a little nuts. That would drive me fucking crazy. <laughs> it was a lot, you know, it's like you're, you're early, you're working these crazy hours. There's like a lot of action, then there's not. And also too, I slowly but surely like realized that the business side of like film and TV is what I was really passionate about. And less so about like, how can I make something? And then instead saying, people have made this amazing movie. How do I make other people care about it? How do I make other people see it? Gotcha. And so that kind of led me to study more of the business components, like producing, marketing, distribution. And then, you know, luckily I interned quite a bit in undergrad. I was able to do, I interned at like the Daily Show, internet focus. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I, I mean, being in New York was incredible just to have all that there. So after doing a bunch of like attempts about like what's the right fit, I realized film worked out like the best. I still loved the movie industry. Um, and I'd say the biggest two internships, one ironically was with the Weinstein company, which 
I was very removed from any of the, you know, okay, okay. <laughs> that you read about, which I'm sure did take place. Um, in your time there, but not, not in your department, I assume. Not, I was in a very small, in post-production, I was in this little dub room with like two like editors who I'm sure made $30,000 a year. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we just kind of did our thing in the dub room. So we were very sheltered. Um, but another was Focus Features, which has done films like Brokeback Mountain, Moonrise Kingdom, truly finding a way to like take like lovely artful movies, but make them marketed well and distributed yeah. so people see them. And so all that kind of led me to focus in on that area of the industry. And fortunately, fo unfortunately, Focus Features closed their New York office, but that led to people from Focus staying in New York and starting the company I started my career at called Bleecker Street. Okay. Bleecker like, was an allusion to Focus Features office because Focus was located on Bleecker Street. So the same street as NYU pretty much then, right? So yes, very close to NYU, uh, which was lovely. But, you know, so I think I sort of my senior year, right before it started, I got a random email that like, we're starting this company. We hear good things about you from people from Focus. Would you want to interview? I thought it was just an internship and it turned out to be a full-time gig. And so <laughs> I kind of go back and forth being like, I would love this. I'm sure I can make this work. I talked to my like academic advisor. They were like, you have 18 more credits. You probably can't make it work. Oh my so God. I had to kind of finesse my schedule, but I was able to graduate a semester early and I would do basically 8 a.m. classes, work, then do 6.30 classes, four days a week. And so it was humbling. Yeah. To be like, am I going to screw up my academics and my like first job? Um, but very luckily it, Obviously, I did not do that too badly. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least from a job wise, I hope you kept the job. But GPA wise, were you all right there? Yes, I actually was. <laughs> and I, you know, I am proud of my fine arts degree with honors. But again, I think the beauty of film is there's some subjectivity. There's a lot of papers. There's a lot of the work I was able to do outside of class. So it's mm. not like the wonderful world of business school where I'm like taking an exam and quizzes yeah. and all that stuff. Maybe, okay. That makes more sense then. So it wasn't nearly as subjective to you having being at every class and being able to retain all that information. It was more about sort of you expressing yourself that sort of helped dictate what your grade would be. Yes. And I think like I took like an 8 a.m. computer science class where I was the only senior and it was all freshmen and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be fine. Like, this is going to be fine. Was that just like the meter requirement because it fit the time and you needed no, the both. I needed like one more science class. Yeah. And then I also needed an 8 a.m. So it was like this 8 a.m. computer science class. I cannot tell you what we did, but I passed it. So... <laughs> We we won't have to talk about computer science much more because I don't I don't think anyone coming in here is like dying to learn about computer science options at uh, NYU nonetheless Marshall. <laughs> yes, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So, kind of a kind of a weird situation where you somehow managed to get a job before you were supposed to. Um, how how was I guess that workload in terms of I guess preparing you for life after college. I mean, I think it was the best experience because, again, I, it 
first and foremost made me not have a wild senior year. If anything, like I was busier than ever. Yeah. That kept me very like head down. Um, again, I think too, it was nice because it was, it did feel like a nice, but still calculated risk. Again, it was really like saying, you know, are you going to have trouble graduating, keeping this job? Mm -hmm. I also knew like, you know, to get in at a company at the ground level, to be doing the work that I was doing, you know, I joined a four person marketing team as like the fourth member and was able to work with basically two heads of, you know, their respective fields, director of digital marketing, and just learn everything. So that was, I think, an incredible opportunity and I recognized it. I think the, you know, January, this was then 2015, once I was technically done, was yeah. like the greatest relief <laughs> of my life. <laughs> While everyone else was, you know, second semester senior. I was like, I'm just happy to have like nothing but just one thing to focus on now. Yeah. And, but I feel like that, that hustle has helped just keep me not easily, I guess I'm easily bored, but so I'm always finding a way to kind of fill my time, whether mm -hmm. that's like through running and training for races or reading or doing my own creative pursuits. Like I feel like that really did help me prepare to just not do a nine to five job and say like, okay, we're done. And I'm kind of yeah. always now itching, you know, for what's the next thing, the next challenge. Um, and again, I think working, that kind of working setup is what set me up for that kind of uh, attitude. Yeah, I was going to say on the back end of that, once you finished, I guess, that last semester of college classes, what was that like break like? And when did you figure out, oh, I can't just sit idly by and like have this free time now? <laughs> Probably. So I, like, I literally like I took my last final. It was that 8 a.m. computer science class. I like walked through Washington Square Park. It was just like it was lovely and anticlimactic despite how crazy it was just to be at like 9 30 in the morning by myself like i think you're done with college like you're <laughs> I went to work. like i walked to astor place i got in the sixth train and i took it to my job so the first two months were lots of like i can like sleep now and go run and chill mm. probably though i will say it was like the summer my first summer like working full-time was sort of like you know, work, we'd released our first movie. It was called Danny Collins, as well as our second one called I'll See You in My Dream. So it was like, things were happening quickly at work, but that had kind of settled. And then it was sort of this itch about like, so now it's six o'clock and I just go home? Like, what do I do now? It's like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm so used to being in class now. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, what happens now? And I feel like that is something I struggled with for like a few months of just like, what do people do? Like, <laughs> did you not know like what Netflix or anything was at that point? Or was that just, I, <laughs> I definitely was aware. Um, but even then, like, I feel like it was like, okay, so are you going to like, I, I'm very active and again, don't sit still very well. Mm. Our current quarantine time is interesting. So it was learning like how to use that time and feel like it was being used wisely. So yes, definitely plenty of like Netflix and TV, but I think that's when I really started running more. And mm -hmm. also I think looking before getting my job at Bleecker Street, I was looking at graduate programs. And so I was starting to be like, do I take the LSAT, the GMAT, the GRE? And that's when I also was sort of like, if you're going to take a test like that, you should probably take it sooner than later, just so that you know, you're not 
27, 28, really not wanting to be doing that and having to like learn how to learn again. I was going to say, yeah, because you almost got to get back into the test taking mindset, which you're very much used to through your undergraduate. But I quickly learned, I was like, when I was going through the math problems, even though like I had an engineering background, I was looking at these math problems like, what the f- are they asking me? <laughs> I have no idea. You as an engineer asking that, imagine me a film major. <laughs> like, I studied movies and yeah, now it's like probability. And I'm like, I don't know. Like it was humbling. So that luckily, you know, allowed me to spend much of my time like studying. And I think like probably the second year of working is when I was like, okay, you're going to, I did my first half marathon and then I took the GRE. And okay. those two were a major butt kicking in a great yeah. way. Of like, oh, this is a lot to balance again. <laughs> like, oh shit, here we go. And here we go. <laughs> but I think like even then, that's when, that's how I started to slowly but surely find ways to like use my time, stay busy. But then I think also be like, set a goal, like training for half marathon will take you four months. Taking mm-hmm. the GRE or GMAT will take like a six month lead time and you probably need some more time. So I think it also like, that is when I started to plot out and learn how to plot out sort of mid to longer term goals, which was also helpful. Nice. And so when you said you sort of took the GRE, was that sort of at that point where you were sort of set on business school or are you taking it with the intention of possibly uh, other sort of grad programs? I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So I was looking actually at, international specifically international schools like in the UK during my junior year of college for like theory and criticism more like artistic focused degrees mm-hmm. um, I think I learned that you know while I loved my film degree I don't know if I needed another like an MFA a fine arts degree yeah but I think I was open to law school not really sure if that was like the right fit um, open to business school. I think business school stood out the most, but a lot of it was like at 22 and 23, I was very much like, you are too young to go. Like you don't have enough work experience. It's not really going to be a value. Yeah. So it was like a thought in my head, but it, I wasn't yet sure about like, is business school going to be the thing? Okay. So you just sort of took the GRE just to sort of as like, your own sort of personal challenge yeah for fun as one does you don't just take the jury for fun and i guess doesn't uh, how long does the scores last like five years before they okay so at least you had five years to think about what the hell you wanted to do if you wanted to do it at all after the fact i took the jury a few times it wasn't (laughs) one and done okay (laughs) you took a benchmark and you see your score immediately and i was just like oh (laughs) Whoa. <laughs> humbling and then the second time I took it my phone died the night before and so like it wouldn't charge and I remember I was just so stressed and flustered and I like wasn't sure how I was going to uber there or get to the testing center in New York uh and then finally like I took it a third time and it all was fine and I'm like we're going to be done with this we're done forever <laughs> damn <laughs> so the third time was the charm though was the charm in this yeah. instance yes <laughs> Uh, so I guess what was, I guess the motivation that brought you to business school then? So you already kind of narrowed down that you didn't want to do anything more in the fine arts area since you think you already had your bases covered there and you were starting to take more of, I guess, the business side of classes since 
you were kind of drawn towards more that side of the industry in terms of being more in the marketing and management roles. So what was it that finally clicked with you to say, oh yeah, let's go to business school. Then there's, there's no wrongdoing there. Yes. <laughs> no wrongdoing at all. I think I was really lucky against starting at a small company to get a lot of exposure and just to get to do so many different things. Like I worked on like media campaigns. How do we allocate budgets? What's the right dollar amounts? Then the creative side, working on the actual trailers and posters, TV spots. I also worked on award campaigns for like Oscars, Golden Globes. So I think it was fun getting such a major kind of view into the film world. Yeah. But slowly but surely, I think I wanted to expand beyond domestic film and find a role that honestly touched a bit more of a global scale. Okay. Released in the United States. And obviously there's a big trend about like movies really growing in the worldwide marketplace. Mm -hmm. So like that was kind of curious. As we talked about earlier, the Netflixes of the world, now the Quibis of the world, it's understanding the, how content's consumption was changing, how technology was changing that. And then I think too, it was like, I was so lucky with my job to work in indie film in New York. And I really recognized that. But I think my fear was that I was getting very comfortable. And like, I wanted to push myself, be challenged again. Mm -hmm. I an MBA would never not be an asset. Like it was always going to help me at some point in my career in that it just, the sooner I went, moved to Los Angeles, which was also a big goal of mine, um, and got this degree, I think the quicker it would start paying off. So the big takeaway was, you know, I wanted to move out West. I think that while I love the New York film industry, it was very small. And so establishing myself out here, having a school that was connected out here, and then figuring out sort of the right next step within entertainment. Like I love the entertainment world, yeah. I wasn't sure though that again, creative advertising in indie film is the perfect fit. So it was saying like, okay, this degree would give me sort of the confidence to try something different, potentially strategy. I don't really see myself as the financial bro in the film no. world. <laughs> but at least I wanted to learn those skills, kind of make up for what I did not learn in my undergrad. And then see kind of what made the most sense once I got here. If it was pivoting more towards the TV side or going for a streaming platform. Um, I think, again, I've always loved movies. So I was also open to, is there a way I can still work in the film industry? What does that look like? So it was kind of broadly saying, I know I want to be challenged. I don't want to get too complacent and I want to move out West. And then the rest I will surely figure out in this wonderful, crazy two-year process. <laughs> Of course, yeah, because two years, although it does fly by, it is a fair amount of time for you to, I guess, sort of hone in on which actual function sort of speaks to you the loudest in terms of uh, where you could see yourself actually making the most impact after your time here. Yes, exactly. And then from, I guess, working in New York all that time, uh, yeah, I realized the film industry probably isn't as large just because of... Uh, the lack of availability of like different landscapes for like weather. I know Hollywood's like great because you can get any type of weather just by driving like two hours away. And that's what made it like an ideal spot. But uh, had you actually spent much time in LA or Hollywood, like either visiting or did they have an office for you to work out of from there either? No. So my company, we only had a New York office, although people would travel West when needed, but I hadn't gone for work again. I, so I loved LA when I was looking at undergrad. 
And I yeah. thought like, LA is the move. And then I was here about a year ago. My best friend from NYU grew up in Palm Springs and was getting married in Palm Springs. So flew into LA, drove to Palm Springs, and then spent a few days after in LA. And mm -hmm. it was humbling because I was sort of like, I don't know if I like this. Like, <laughs> like 18 year old me really liked it. Yeah. I don't know if like after living in New York, if this is the right move. And I think that was a little jarring at first. Um, but regardless, I think it's the thing that I always told myself was that I really liked New York and I would stay there as long as I could, but I would never jeopardize a career move or limit myself by saying I have to stay here because like, gotcha. I didn't want to work for an ad agency that supports film or I didn't want to work, you know, in kind of film or media entertainment adjacent functions. Like I wanted to work in the industry. So I felt that LA was inevitable. And so yes. even though I didn't necessarily love it a year ago, I was like, you know, you kind of, you have to, if you're going to want to work in entertainment. Did you come in with that sort of like, I guess, jaded New Yorker mindset being like, oh, there's, this is, this is nothing compared to New York. Our buildings are taller. Our pizza's better. Our bagels are better. <laughs> I, I was in Santa Monica and like I walked through an influencer's social media photo shoot with a professional photographer. And I was just like, oh no. And I was stuck <laughs> in traffic for an hour getting to the West side. And just like, I mean, it's the little things that now don't bother me because you learn how to just to navigate the city and navigate yeah. the influencers. The influencers. At the time, I was like, I want to be like crammed on the subway, reading my book in my Brooklyn Haven and like <laughs> doing my New York thing. Oh man. Okay. So you were living in Brooklyn at the time. I was a true, so I mainly was in the East Village until for the last two years of my like time in New York, I lived in a neighborhood called downtown Brooklyn. So right where the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge met. Yep, yep, yep. I think I'm familiar. Is that where the pizza place, I think, Grimaldi's is? Yes, is that all that. Is? That's closer to like Dumbo, but like that's where I would run. Like I could just easily get there. Beautiful. We could be on the waterfront, like close yep. to Prospect Park. It was, it was great. <laughs> oh, you probably miss it right now, don't you? I do. Oh, especially <laughs> I'm seeing all these people like biking through dead streets of New York and I'm so jealous. Like I would love to right now just tear up Manhattan in Brooklyn on my bike. That's pretty much the only thing that's going on around here at the East side. It's just people that are going out for like their daily runs and stuff with absolutely no traffic around. But other than that, it's like kind of creepy, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of creepy and I've, I've just heard in new york you like hear like an ambulance going off like every like 20 or so minutes but luckily i'm in like a small little podunk town on the shore so it's not nearly you're, as you're avoiding that hopefully yeah i'm avoiding that for now yeah, yeah. <laughs> um okay so we kind of narrowed down why you wanted to go to the west side because it was sort of an inevitable career move for you as well as the reasons for business school because an mba is never not out of style um yes. <laughs> So what sort of led you to Marshall specifically? Yeah, so in looking, I mean, I, last May, after my sort of April visit, again, was sort of like, not in love with LA, but still thinking like, you sort of will end up there no matter what. So you should probably look at two schools for your MBA that yep. are located in Los Angeles. Wonder who. <laughs> like, you wonder which ones. And so going back again to looking Candidly, like UCLA is a lovely school. Um, it reminded me a lot of UNC Chapel Hill 
And I feel like in going in touring that as undergrad, I was like, if I wanted this kind of campus feel and experience, I would just go to UNC. Like, even though it was sort of like 13th grade there, like for some reason, I just didn't connect with the school as much as I did for like USC. Um, mm -hmm. I kept that in mind when I was looking at business school programs. And I sort of have a, uh, I did everything wrong, but it worked out where I applied to USC after their last deadline. Like in it's like a, it was like a rolling deadline almost the way they presented it, right? Yeah. So I looked at UCLA and USC and USC had like this asterisk, like you can still apply and we will consider your application. And like that day I applied. And so <laughs> I was like, what's the worst that happens? Like you don't have to say yes or no unless they even offer it to you. And like, it's just worth going for it. And if it doesn't work, just reapply in the fall. Yeah. So like, it's I only however, however much it costs to apply, but you know, we'll just, <laughs> we'll <laughs> <pass that. laughs> it was $150. Uh, so I applied like May 10th and then like a week later I got an interview invite and I was like, all right, like, let's go. And so I interviewed at the end of May and I was so not nervous because I'm like, what, you're not going to accept me. Like, it's so late. It's fine. Yeah. So I feel like the, it may have been the best interview of my life because I wasn't super nervous. Cause it's like, I, I can't even believe I'm talking to you. I was like, let's talk about film and why USC. Um, and then like two weeks later, I got an email from USC. Like you need to send us your official transcripts and everything ASAP. And I was like, I think I'm getting in. And then <laughs> that, that was your first inclination. <laughs> so I'm like, I think this is good. And then I got a random call at like 6.30 on like a Thursday from a California number. And it was the dean being like, surprise, like you've been accepted. <laughs> and I, I was meeting up with friends after and I like was just so shocked about like, it's June like 13th. I think I have to be in LA in like five weeks. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't tell people at work that I was applying. I didn't, my friends knew peripherally. So really quickly, and like I went back and forth with like admissions just being like, I don't know if I can even pull this off. Like I'm kind of like, <laughs> this is amazing, but yeah. I was expecting this. And then finally, like right at the very last minute, I was like, this is something that is perfect. It makes sense. Why wait and delay this longer? Like you got in, it's the right school, go for it. So I said, yes, it was literally in that instance, the only school I applied to last year because- yeah. Rolling admissions. was, yeah, UCLA's was done at that point. And so. And plus, too, I mean, I feel like knowing USC's connections to entertainment was like what kind of made it stand out, where it's not just Marshall, which also has like an amazing, you know, roster of people who work in film and TV. Mm -hmm. but we have the Cinema School, the Annenberg School of Communications. Like, there's so many people at USC who are somehow connected to that world. And so being part of Marshall, I thought was great because it's a small community. People really care about entertainment. We have a lot of courses that support that, but also the larger kind of Trojan network is really tapped in. And so I thought, you know, that's a network I want to be part of. Uh, and it just, it made sense based on not only the timing, but I think the size, I didn't want to feel too overwhelmed. Um, my film program was like 250 similar to our martial class like 220 same right yeah right in the same neighborhood same hood same parallels and then i was like all right i guess we're doing this and so i flew home to north carolina i bought a car over july 4th quit my job and then like july 21st i moved to la 
Just the pacing of that just sounds like it was super appropriate for you too. Just <laughs> it was I lost like five years off my life, I'm sure. But again, that was my bad. And uh, it was just so funny. It was like getting on the plane. Like I didn't even have time to be sentimental about leaving New York because it just happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Okay. So now we're kind of at the point where we know why you came to Marshall. We know sort of the crazy decision process you had to go through just to get out here even having to buy a car, which I haven't had to do yet, but I'm sort of dreading having to do in LA. Uh, <laughs> Super fun. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, but so before we get to learn a little bit more about your experience at Marshall now, uh, we'll take a break to go over to the second segment, which yes. is, will you press the button? So again, this is going to be something like, these are all like, like, I guess this site just has a bunch of like people that submit them themselves. And so some of them are like good and actually like thought provoking. And some of them are really stupid. So I might skip a few just in case I hit a few duds. Um, see that that one's just garbage. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you can have anything you want for free, but everyone will hate you for having so much stuff. I would not do it. Not press the button. Not press the button. You care more about what people think than what you have. I feel like just looking, maybe it's just the corona, but like seeing the hoarders of toilet paper and <laughs> sanitizer, I'm like, I don't know if I want to be that guy, regardless of like people's opinion of it. Well, maybe when you put a little lens on it like that, yeah, maybe a lot of these answers would be different, but apparently 68% of people would just say fucking push the button. <laughs> also doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. You create a treaty with every nation that ends all wars and creates a hundred years of peace between all nations but the treaty is only signed the day after you die. Oh, I still press it. Yeah. <laughs> would you, would you press it and just live out your life? <laughs> yeah, like, well, God, like maybe that's when I go into hiding a bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, as soon as you sign that, as soon as you uh, like agree to this button, <laughs> you have a target on your back. I don't know. I feel like Putin might protect me. <laughs> like uh, certain leaders might protect me. <laughs> that's true too. Yeah, there's always that's uh, that's the aspect. The U.S. will probably protect you. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. So 75% were agreement with you on that one. So that time you're with the people. Um, <laughs> this one might be very accurate for you. Um, the U.S. the U.S. debt is solved, meaning like the U.S. has no more debt but you become a Republican. Oof. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, that was actually a hard 50, 50 split. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that makes sense. My parents would be a little, my mother would be very upset. <laughs> it's worth the debt. <laughs> this one, I don't know if we should count this one, but it's just funny to read because I have no idea who who submitted this one but you get a walrus at your home so apparently having a walrus at your home is like a huge thing and it's very good (laughs) but at any moment you won't know in the next week you'll get hit in the balls by a baseball bat (laughs) i'm gonna probably pass i really don't want a walrus or a bat who who the hell submitted this one i'm curious to hear what the split is though on this 65 percent said they don't want a walrus so (laughs) but 35 percent said sure i'll take a walrus (laughs) (laughs) uh (laughs) you are now able to teleport once a week but you must do it while taking a dump 
and only to a location that you visited before. <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> um, yeah, I would do it. Sure. I'm, I'm wondering if it's like teleport once a week, meaning like, like I get a round trip or if I can only yeah. just go one place and I have to stay there for a week before I can teleport somewhere else. This under, we will assume that this means I can get back. So okay. <laughs> we'll assume it means you get back. Then you press the button. Uh, 57%. I guess 43% were comfortable teleporting while taking a dump. I mean, I also don't them. I usually don't go to the bathroom on airplanes, so maybe it's a bad choice. Do you like teleport like uh, like you're in Terminator 2 or something where you just yeah. sort of show up on location? I... <laughs> like in the same position? <laughs> oh, okay, that was it for that. So thanks for playing that one. Yes. Those it's ones are, trivia. <laughs> it goes, it goes way better than trivia. And sometimes there's, there's fun ones like that. And more often than not, there's been times where I'm like clicking going, nope, 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 nope. I think one of them was like, you own every Apple product and you have to have like the background of your greatest fear. And I was like, I, that's, that's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so now that we're sort of past that segment now, we're going to go into more questions that deal with your experience specifically with Marshall. Uh, so the first one that I sort of like to ask most of the guests is uh, really diving into what sort of clubs or events that you've had at Marshall that sort of uh, have been really impactful for you and also helpful in preparing for your future career. Sure. I mean, the big, biggest club that's had an impact on me has been Marshall Pride, which is our LGBTQ group. Uh, I am a gay man and, you know, luckily very tapped into the Reaching Out MBA network, which is a large MBA professionals network for people who are LGBTQ. Okay. They always have a conference each year in October that invites alumnus, alumni, uh, current students, employers, sort of all convene. And I mean, it serves an opportunity to network. People will secure internships, jobs there. Mm. They have a case competition, but it's just, it's a really wonderful way to talk to other out business leaders to understand their trajectory, understand how their firms are supporting LGBTQ people. Mm. Um, And it's just also, it happens so soon after you start business school that you don't even have time to really catch your breath, which can be overwhelming, but a lot of fun. And so like last year we went to Atlanta, they hosted the conference there. Uh, we had a case competition team. We luckily won first place there, which was incredible, yep. and a lot of fun and a lot of work. And then, I mean, even, you know, there's so many companies there that like, even though you may not say like, I want to do X, Y, Z, it's nice just to have a, a person there who's like, let's at least just talk about your background, your career, what you're interested in. Is there a role here potentially? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that had a really big impact, even though most of those companies candidly are not media and entertainment. It was nice to do the case competition, be really scared, but have it work out. Yeah. Um, to talk to so many companies to understand like what else I could try, whether that's functionally or even industry-wise. Um, but also too, I feel like to have so many LGBTQ people who are out, like that still is a rare thing, whether it's yeah. the C-suite, um, or even just, you know, middle to senior management. Um, it's not, we're getting better, but the visibility can always be better. So it's great to sort of be surrounded by like-minded people in a safe space. 
everyone knowing they're getting their MBA, trying to help you out. Um, so I think that was, you know, the highlight of my first year so far. Awesome. And then obviously you mentioned that a lot of these uh, recruiters weren't really going for like media entertainment, but I assume that was a, like, I guess a really comfortable space to at least get your like interview prep going and at least get some practice questions in while you sort of tell, tell people about yourself. Yes. That elevator pitch got perfected. <laughs> in that um, and I mean, initially too, like I, you know, I came here for entertainment, but I did technically recruit for consulting because, you know, yep. I drank the Kool-Aid and was sort of told like, try this. And I thought, you know, consulting and investment banking, if you really want to go after those fields, business school is one of the last sort of opportunities to really easily go for them. Yep. Um, so I also was able to kind of use the conference to start to meet firms and say like, who is the right fit, the right kind of function. Um, so yes, it was definitely productive, exhausting, but mm. of my, it was right before our first midterms and those were humbling, oh, <laughs> humbling wow. times. And was that, was that during, I guess the October sort of Trek yes. weekend, so the fall break or whatever and accounting. So, uh, I made it interesting, especially again with my movie degree. Yeah. <laughs> but it still was like super fun, super helpful. And it was also Atlantis Pride that weekend. So, oh, was that sort of, was that, was that sort of like surrounding the decision to have it in Atlanta or was that just I a happy? So. Yeah. Okay. So is it always in Atlanta or is it going to be somewhere else next year? So, actually, reaching out is going to be here in Los Angeles. Really? So, we are we're super excited. Sandra Luo is on the actual planning committee mm -hmm. for it. Um, and Marshall, we will, it's going to be downtown, like a mile away from us. So we will definitely have a presence. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to hear more about that one then. <laughs> yes. Same. I'm super pumped. I just can't wait to be back in Los Angeles in general. Yeah. But, you know, any <laughs> event definitely. that's going on, I just, I want to, I want to hear about it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another question that we have is uh, sort of, uh, coming from the East coast, I kind of want to hear your take on this one, but what does your typical day at Marshall look like back when we actually used to go to class? Yes. I, especially during the school year, fortunately I can function without a ton of sleep and I feel like I'm actually most productive early in the morning. Like that's when I can kind of cut people out, avoid traffic. So I would wake up rather early and try to either knock out homework or readings, mm -hmm. uh, from there too, I would usually try to get to campus between like 7.30 and 8 just to get going, be in the zone, get rid of all the productivity I have before it's totally <laughs> out. Before like you hit noon and you turn to a pumpkin or something. You're like, exactly. <laughs> so we get to school early. Obviously, we would have our classes in the morning. Yep. And then typically, I mean, the afternoon, you know, in the fall semester, lots of recruiting, especially for consulting, you know, pretty much once or twice a week, there was some kind of event, whether it was a formal networking reception, a round table. So just getting to know a lot of employers, uh, you know, from there too, I was on the board for Marshall Pride as an AVP, um, as well as the Business of Entertainment Association board. So helping with different events for alumni or, mm -hmm. You know, for Pride, it might be sort of mentorship meetups, et cetera. Um, so helping to meet with people, plan those, be working on group projects. I also, I don't know if I would recommend this, but I, I ran the LA Marathon in March. That's right. Yep. 
do that during business school was humbling. <laughs> so I, I would usually have to get a run in at some point in the day and would save my long runs for like the weekend. Um, and then typically too, I mean, I usually would try to save meetings, group projects, anything that was like, could be somewhat social for the evening. And so by the evenings, you know, even though we're maybe trying to get stuff done, that's when I'll try and not just be by myself, but do group work, case competitions, um, before like going to bed and getting ready to start it all over the next yeah. day. <laughs> so would you like stay on campus for most of the day then? Um, yes, I feel typically I could feel, you know, maybe at like four or five, if I didn't have a group project or an evening class, there are times when I would go home to be like, you're losing productivity. Like you need to change your setting. But for the most part, I like coming home until our current circumstance. Home yep. is just where I like slept and ate. And then like school is where I would do all my work. Gotcha. So you didn't have any problems sort of like doing work in like the courtyard or like in like the little library rooms or anything like that? So I have a secret. Scott Abrams knows because he walks by me all the time and would like joke like I was in my office. But I ride by the law school. They have these tables that are outdoor that are close enough to Marshall and I love my courtyard, but there are times in the courtyard where I will get very little done because I am a little more extroverted. Yep. So it was like close enough to school, but then removed enough where I could like be outside and get stuff done. So that's sort of my secret hangout. Which are you talking about like that little sort of rectangular area or are you talking about like the ones on sort of the outside? So sometimes the rectangular area, but even further, like right by the fountain for Bridge Hall and the accounting building, Okay. Like Marshall and getting to Bridge on yep. the way you pass technically the law school. And it's sort of like under the building. It's like this 1960s modern architecture. They've got these like circular tables. Yep. They're okay. nice and hidden. That's I, what I, hide. I think I know what you're talking about, but Hopefully I have never I can actually one day. Yeah, <laughs> right. You'll just see me there. <laughs> Your secret spot is like, oh no, everyone found my secret spot. <laughs> <laughs> But I was going to say, I don't know how you can like do work in the courtyard because anytime I try to hang out in the courtyard, it will come to a point where it's like, all right, I got to go home because I can't, I can't operate out here. I'm just going to, I can't shut up. <laughs> it's like you can't shut up and then someone's going to the lab and you're like, I can go to the lab. It's been yeah, a busy Tuesday. <laughs> and that's then, how I am at the lab for like the fifth time in two days. <laughs> it, it, yes, it can definitely be problematic, but in a good way. And I definitely miss the courtyard now more than ever. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I would give anything to go back there and go to the lab and have spinach and artichoke dip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so for the last question we have for you is, uh, what's something that uh, coming into grad school that you had no idea about that you wish someone had told you before you had come? People warned me that business school would be overwhelming. And I think especially like as we discussed, having worked and gone to school full time simultaneously and sort of having other ways to challenge myself mm -hmm. in my professional life, I really kind of laughed that off without knowing how true it was. And I feel like it's especially your first semester, it's like six months of just a roller coaster in a great way. Yeah. In a way where I think, you know, I would advise going into school being very intentional about the industries you're recruiting for, the clubs you're joining, the leadership roles you want to take on, and figuring out truly how to like take care of yourself and what your right balance is. 
because again, like it took me some time to learn, like I'm okay sleeping four or five hours, but if I don't run, that's going to make me not a nice person, which is going to be a problem. Or if, you know, I'm always overwhelmed because I've signed up for too many clubs and that's going to take me away from recruiting, taking away from classes. That's a problem. So I think it's just like, you are going to be overwhelmed. That's part of this process, but there are ways that you can prepare yourself. And I think truly it is being intentional and accepting that like you can do anything, but not everything. And that's totally cool. Was I guess pursuing consulting as strong as you did one of those situations where you're like, Oh, I might've bitten off more than I can chew here. (laughs) It definitely did not make my life easy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because again, too, like I had never taken accounting or corporate finance or any of those courses. So it's like, there's a steep learning curve. There's this very demanding recruiting process and then there's life. But I will also say that's also something for potential MBAs. Like I ended up being exactly where I needed to be in my career. I'm so happy it wasn't necessarily a traditional consulting role for like mm-hmm. a firm that maybe you would typically associate with consulting. But I can look back now and never question what if. Like I can say I gave this industry my all. I don't want to be the person who second year is like, you know, maybe I should have given it a shot. Yeah. I think there's a nice finality of being like, I did it. It wasn't the right thing. So now we're moving on. But yes, if I had not done that, I probably would have been like on the Dean's list a little. The Dean's list. What is that? <laughs> what the hell is the Dean's list? There's no Dean's list. <laughs> or like more, or, you know, but I, I definitely think that, yes, that was intense, but I also think that that was a necessary evil. Yeah. Well, better. Yeah, I agree with like better having that answer question rather than sort of living the rest of your life being like, oh, if only I had gone for consulting. And now I, did, now I say, oh, and now you're like, fuck, what do you mean? And now we're on to the next thing and we're happy and in the right place. <laughs> well, happy like you look back on it in such a favorable fashion, even though you like you have that answer. You have that question answered forever now. Forever. And now again, Bless your heart, as we say in the South, and on to the next one. <laughs> I'm glad to have one more on the team that sort of abandoned consulting along with me. So yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll take any I can get at this point. Uh, so that about wraps up the time we have for today. It was great getting to talk to you again, Kyle. Uh, but before we go, uh, as a thank you for coming on the show, I want to give you one minute to sort of promote anything you want. So it could be a club that you care about or anything else that you have going on in your life. So just let people know. Sure. Again, I think, you know, I love Marshall Pride. It's been a huge part of my MBA experience. I'm very fortunately the new president of Marshall Pride. And a big thing we're looking for next year is greater visibility, but also continuing to have allies be part of our club. So I think, you know, we, of course, are centered upon LGBTQ students, making sure we're meeting their needs, have a support system, sense of community. But a big part of that is also inviting everyone to our party. It is an inclusive club. We're going to try to motivate that more with some uh, exciting new events, which we'll be sharing later this summer. Um, But again, I think, you know, for people who may have hesitated to join uh, or, you know, aren't sure that they can because they don't identify as LGBTQ, totally not the case. The more the merrier. And I think we're excited to be a bigger part of the Marshall community next year. Are there going to be any sort of repeat events that uh, we got to enjoy this past year? Yeah. So this year, uh, many folks got to enjoy a drag brunch. Yep. (laughs) uh, Which was 
lovely and a great time. And so we will definitely be repeating that. We partnered with the Partners Club and we did drag bingo for an evening. Oh, really? <laughs> it was a lot. It was like a smaller group, but it was so much fun. Yeah. And then I feel like we're going to, we were supposed to have a bigger event at the Abbey, a sort of an end of year party. We're going to have an eye for that, perhaps as more of a kickoff party this fall, assuming and hoping we can all be together in larger spaces. Got it. So yeah, now that we sort of like all those plans are canceled, it seems like all the clubs are sort of shifting their focus on end of year events to sort of kick off ones to sort of, I guess, get people more excited about being back at school and stuff. So I will definitely be looking forward to that one as well as, like I mentioned, any other events that are going on at this point. (laughs) (laughs) We look forward to having you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then before we go, before we wrap up, there's one last piece to uh, go through here and that is your song of the night. So it's totally up to you. Uh, it could be anything that's relevant. It could be a throwback to the 80s. It doesn't matter. We're going to do the song Let's Have a Kiki by the Scissor Sisters, which is a song you will all be dancing to at the Abbey this fall. <laughs> I feel like I heard that <laughs> when we went to the Abbey. I don't know. Because I feel like we went to the Abbey afterwards. We did. <laughs> and... I, I was be happy so- that I went to El Pollo Loco. <laughs> <and> <laughs> it was a humbling evening. El Pollo Loco. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So that's about all the time we've had for today. Uh, again, I'm your host, Fetch McDermott. And thank you, Kyle Scott, for joining us today. It was great to hear about your story and how you sort of navigated through all sorts of uh, <laughs> indecisions and also rust decisions to end up here at Marshall. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And then to close out the night, we will be playing you off with Let's Have a Kiki by the Scissor Sisters. So until next time, folks. What's up? It's Pickles. Leave a message. Hey, I'm calling you back. Ooh, she's been a bitch tonight. And by bitch, I mean Miss Rain. No cab, nowhere. So I had to put on the wigs and the heels and the lashes and the ear and take the train to the club. You know the MTA should stand for motherfuckers touching my ass. So then I get to the club, looking like a drowned, harassed rat, and am greeted, not by Miss Rose at the door, but our friend Johnny Five-O. Yes, honey, the NYPD shut down the party. So no fee for me. I don't even know what's the key. Let's have a kiki. I wanna have a kiki. Lock the doors. Right. Let's have a kiki. Motherfucker. I'm gonna let you have it. Let's have a kiki. I wanna have a kiki. Die. Turn. Work. Let's have a kiki. We are gonna serve. And work. And turn. And hunt, hunt, honey. Let's have a kiki. I wanna have a kiki. Lock the door tight. Let's have a kiki.
Honey. 